This is a Federal News Network podcast. Last week, a stunning new museum devoted to Army history opened its doors at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. Meanwhile, the Army's own museum enterprise, part of the Army Center of Military History, wants to divest itself of surplus items of the more than half million artifacts it now cares for. Here with what's going on, the Museum Enterprise's Historic Material Division Chief, Stefan Rohal. Mr. Rohal, good to have you on. Hey, good morning, Tom. Tell us more about your office, the Museum Enterprise Historic Materials Division within the Army Center of Military History. I'm not sure everyone knows this whole apparatus exists. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's a little convoluted, so uh, I'll, I'll try to make it as clear as possible. The Army Museum Enterprise is sort of the overall entity and sort of oversight of all of our museums. And its mission is really to uh, support the training, education, and esprit de corps of soldiers and Army civilians, and really also serve as a repository and steward for the Army's material culture. We also support research and development programs and civil works programs with the collection. And really the other main thing is to educate the general public about the Army and the heritage of its great service to this nation. Historic Material Division is really where all the artifacts in the Army Artifact Collection exist. It's a centralized collection, even though we have 47 museums spread out across the country and and a few overseas. The collection itself is centrally managed and out of Historic Material Division, so the approximately 580,000 artifacts are accounted for and tracked uh, via database and via our, our registrars here at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. So that's where Historic Material Division comes into play. And then our division reports to the museum's directorate, which is part of the Center of Military History, which basically Center of Military History covers all history of the Army, and we focus on museums. But Center of Military History covers writing and research and everything else in regards to history. And then Center of Military History, we're under training and doctrine command or TRADOC is our four-star major command that we report up to. Hopefully, I know that's kind of long, but hopefully that helps. Well, that's uh, typical of the military. Everything's kind of tied in, in one way or another. And now you are divesting of some of the 580,000 artifacts. Why is that, and what type of quantities do you expect to uh, get rid of? No, and that's a great question. And, you know, when people hear divestiture or deaccession, it certainly causes pause, but really it's very common in the museum world, and, and museums are always looking at their collections and what they need to retain and, and what may be excess. I think the reason the Army got to where it is today with the 580,000, and actually it was uh, close to 620,000 when I started three years ago, was that the Army Museum Enterprise was formed in 2016. And all Army museums, except for, I think, two or three, then fell under TRADOC uh, a few years later. So for the first time, all the museums were under the same command, where in the past they were spread out across the Army. And even though the collection was centrally managed, the museums were not. And so that, along with, I think, lack of technology, led to all the museums sort of just collecting on their own. And so you had 47 and even more museums than that at one point were just all collecting the same things. And in some cases, they were collecting very focused on what their museum mission was. But in other cases, they were just taking in representative examples of type. And that led to mass duplication across the Army. And, you know, with improvements in technology and communication and and in databases, it really allows us now to take a look at the collection from a central standpoint, where in the past, I think it was sort of done more individually. So, and this is years and years in the making. So, you know, now we can really look at it as a whole 
and sort of make those determinations. Okay, how many World War II canteens do we need if there's thousands? You know what I mean? Because we only need a certain amount uh, to show the different typological examples, maybe ones that were carried by individual soldiers, and how many do we need to support our museums? And then once we look at that, we can then determine how much is excess. So that's kind of how we're looking at this in a whole. So the criteria then are based on how many there are, how many make sense, and what might already be on display in the museums. And I imagine there's a lot of things that are not on display in warehouses? Absolutely. So the criteria we generally use, uh, criteria points, we use typological or, you know, how many examples do we have of this certain model? I'll use canteens, right? How many do we have of certain era or model of canteen? And then how many do we have that were actually carried by a soldier in combat? And we know that what we call associated history or the, you know, it has a strong provenance to it. So we'll look at kind of both of those areas. And then in terms of density studies, we'll look at how many do we need typologically to, one, support the research, but two, support exhibitions at our museums and training, because that's really what we're all about. And the idea is we want to come to a point at which we have what we need, but we're able to divest of what's really more what we would consider surplus material than an artifact. Because that allows us to really put our manpower and our funding to preserve those things that are most important to the Army. We're speaking with Stefan Rohal. He's chief of the Historic Material Division of the Army Museum Enterprise. And how do you actually go about disposing? It becomes surplus federal property. Does it go over to the GSA? Absolutely. So we have to follow the same regulations as any Army entity. So we are working with DLA and GSA right now, and we're working on sort of some beta tests and how this looks and how we turn in this material. And really, it does get turned in the same way any other surplus federal property gets turned in. However, we, I think, have a different target audience. So we are looking to get this material out to other museums, educational institutions, entities that qualify for the donation of historical assets via the Title X, that's what allows us to transfer that stuff out. So we're trying to get it to these nonprofits, these state municipal organizations. And GSA already has a program in existence which we can tap into, and that once it goes through the DLA, and, and we'll offer it out to other federal entities first, so Park Service, Smithsonian, entities like that, once it goes through that screening process, it will go down to GSA, and GSA will put it out through their program, and they have a regional program that allows museums and educational institutions to sign up and then look at the types of things that become available, and they're really confident that they're going to be able to place the majority of the types of things that we're going to push out. And just out of curiosity, how did you come to this type of work? What is your background? So my background is I was always interested in military history, and I just really got lucky. I got my history degree at Penn State University, and I was able to get in at the Pennsylvania Military Museum, which is right outside of State College in Bullsburg, and I worked there for several years. And then I got in with the Marine Corps. I worked for the National Museum of the Marine Corps for 11 years, and now I've been with the Army for a little over three years. So it's, it's been wonderful to be able to support these museums and the veterans and, and just, you know, the education that goes on in these institutions. It's really a, a wonderful job, and I'm grateful to have it. So it seems like in this divestiture, there's the opportunity for a lot of local, state, township museums, historical societies to maybe augment their collections with what the Army might consider surplus, but it's something they don't have. 
Absolutely, and that's the main goal of the project is really just because it's an excess to us doesn't mean somebody else doesn't have a need for it. And really that's the hope, and, and you know, that's where you know, museums, public trust is, is a huge deal. And so for us, we want to make sure that the public understands that we are trying to place this stuff and that even though it's excess to us, we realize that other museums and other educational institutions may have use for it. So you know, we're really hopeful that this stuff can be used elsewhere. Now the National Museum of the U.S. Army that just opened by the Army's Historical Foundation, and I guess the Army has a role in helping it get established. Will some of the stuff go there? Because they have about thirteen or 1,400 artifacts, which doesn't sound like that many for a museum of that scale. Actually, that lines up pretty much with what the National Museum of the Marine Corps opened with. I think they're pretty much on par, and I think they've got a good number of artifacts over there. So the National Museum of the Army is also part of the Center of Military History. Now, the foundation raised the funds to build the building, but the Army actually runs the facility and its government staff that manage the museum itself there. So the Army Artifact Collection, the central collection we were discussing, supports the National Museum of the United States Army. So anything within that collection is available, and the National Museum of the Army is our keystone, capstone museum, I guess you would say. It's going to reach the general public in a way that some of our other museums, which may be behind gates and garrisons and stuff, can't. So the most significant and most important artifacts are on display at the National Museum of the United States Army, and we proudly support that museum. And a final question, is it possible, or does it ever cross your mind that out there in the attics and barns across America, there might be some army artifacts that the Material Command does not have, the uh, surplus materials and the, and the historical commands do not have, and that if someone said, hey, if you got one of these, you might say, you know, we'll take it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, really, the, the vestiture is, you know, we're trying to right-size what we have now, and one of the reasons that we're right-sizing what we have now is because We've identified gaps in the Army collection. So while there are areas where we have a great number of representative examples, there are areas in which we don't. I would say, you know, 20th century is probably the bulk of the collection. So, you know, anything that's pre-20th century is definitely something we would look at. Anything that has a great story, even if it is World War II, we have a lot of things. But, you know, something that has a significant Army story, a significant soldier story, we'll always take a look at it. But also modern warfare is something that, because the Great War on Terrorism is still going on, a lot of that stuff, you know, is still significant to those veterans who have served, so they haven't necessarily donated yet, or in some cases, things that are controlled by the Army, such as weapon systems and vehicles, are still in use, so, you know, they're not being retired yet, and we can't bring those into the collection. So, again, the goal is for right-sizing. We want to divest of the surplus so that those significant things can be preserved and that we can bring in other things of significance in areas where we don't have as much in the collection. Stefan Rohal is Chief of the Historic Materiel Division of the Army Museum Enterprise. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, and appreciate uh, you getting the word out about our program and what we're doing. And uh, it was great to talk to you today. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.